Welcome to Regulated and Relational, the bi-monthly podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. Today we're going to learn about our vagus nerve. Did you know you have one? Well, Julie and Ginger are joined by Alice and Morgan today, and they have so much to share with us. Let's jump right in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Regulated and Relational, our podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. I'm Ginger Healy. And I'm Julie Beam. And we're excited to share with you from both our personal experiences and our professional knowledge what it truly means to be attachment-focused, trauma-informed, and how we can help children impacted by early childhood trauma. And today, we're going to tackle a topic that you may not be familiar with. We're going to explore the vagus nerve, maybe a little bit of polyvagal theory and other occupational therapist exciting topics. And we'll talk about how the vagus nerve has a role in helping us be regulated and relational, something that we are very passionate about. But we're not going to do this alone. We've invited Allison Morgan of Zensational Kids to help us. Julie, can you introduce us to Allison? Yes, it would be my pleasure because I'm so excited to have Allison with us. Uh, we have known Allison for several years and she is a wealth of information. I have a feeling we're not going to get to everything we want to talk about today, but that's okay. Let me tell you a little bit about Allison. She is an occupational therapist, speaker, mindfulness and yoga coach, and an author on a mission to empower youth with the inner skills to lead joyful, engaged and resilient lives. She's the founder and CEO of Sensational Kids, an educational company providing schools and organizations professional development that is focused on boosting mental health, well-being, and learning for the entire school community. Allison creates programs which integrate trauma-responsive approaches, mindfulness, and social-emotional learning to ensure learners and leaders thrive together. Sensational Kids practices can be found in over 100 countries and 11,000 schools around the world. So yay, Allison, we know your work. We love what you're doing. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I love the Attachment Network. I love everything that you've been doing all these years and the information you've been putting out there. So I'm really honored just to be part of that and to share my knowledge with you. We feel very much the same about you. And before we dive into the vagus nerve, which I think is going to be a new, exciting concept for our listeners today, I want you to sort of give us a history of how you got here, but focus on your role as an occupational therapist, because we haven't had an occupational therapist on the podcast before. And we at ATN really believe that OTs can play a significant role in this movement. Um, so I have been an OT for almost like 30 years. Over two decades of that has been in schools. So I began school OT work as a traditional OT, which typically is, you know, like pulling kids out one at a time or very small group and addressing the goals. And essentially all your goals are to help them meet their academic needs. So how I ended up getting into like this line of work of essentially like I incorporate a lot of yoga and mindfulness into everything that I do. And it really did start with integrating it through occupational therapy, because what I was finding was that 
and this goes back even like 10, 15 years ago, we started having so many kids in the school system that did not have a diagnosis. They were struggling in the classroom. They were walking around the hallways with an aide. They were putting more and more kids on behavior plans because they just had to like manage the behavior. Mm-hmm. But yet we had all these symptoms, right? All these anxious kids, depressed kids, hyperactive. And, you know, I sort of had the perspective of like, well, why? Like what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And this sort of coincided with when I started learning and studying yoga and mindfulness. Like for myself, I never even thought like, oh, this will be great to integrate into my work. But from my very early experiences with the practices, I felt within minutes this visceral change this change within my whole physiology of being like on and tight and charged to being able to just calm, focus and ground. And with my just knowledge of physiology from being an OT, I knew like, okay, just from breathing in this way, I just changed something within my nervous system. And I don't need to know exactly what it is, but I do know that when I shift myself into this other state, and we could call this a state of calm, a state of well-being, a state of being, you know, grounded, like everything's all okay. I'm willing to try things. I'm more available to listen. I'm more available to connect. So I just had this like overarching question of like, all right, like, how can I help my students achieve this? Because clearly they don't feel this way within their body. They're constantly in a state of stress, alarm, protection. So if I could just help them feel this way, what happens? I don't care about my OT goals. Don't care about the handwriting. Don't care about how long you could sit there. Don't care about how long you pay attention. But just if I can help you feel differently, feel more joy, happiness, and settled, what happens? So being the OT, you know, I had my own OT room. So I can go and I could experiment with all these different things. What if I help kids, you know, breathe in this way? What happens? If I teach them how to move through these postures, what happens? And what I found very, very quickly is that these practices actually shift their nervous system to better feeling states. And when we achieve better feeling states, we do better. I got to a point where I stopped looking at my OT goals and just focused on state of arousal, state of attention, you know, your inner state. And I would, after like a couple of months, look at the OT goals and all the OT goals were achieved. And then the other thing that happened was Teachers started to say to me, like, what did you do? What did you do? Because they came back totally different. Like they came back and they were engaged and they were calm and they played or they were responsive. They raised their hand. We started seeing all these other changes, whether they're physiological, their cognitive, their connection. Everything was improving just by helping kids change their state of being. And so what I ended up doing was like, I couldn't see enough kids 
at one time. And I started realizing you really don't need to see kids one at a time. You could do this in community. How much even better, better do it in community. So I started doing it in small groups with kids because I was still learning what works, what doesn't work, what do they like, you know, what happens with behavior. And then it got to a point where teachers are asking me to come in all the time, you know, and in the OT world of schools, you really legally can't work with kids that are not on program. However, little loophole, I can work in classrooms with classified students. And since almost all my classified students spend time in general ed classrooms, Mm -hmm. I can come into a general ed classroom or a special ed classroom, and I can share practices with everyone. Towards the end of, you know, my time of functioning in a school as a school-based OT, that was what my whole schedule became. My whole schedule really became hopping into classrooms, working with teachers, working with full classrooms of kids. And and that's really how I then began to see there's really a need, not just for the schools that I'm in, there's a need for like all schools to know how to do this. I formed Sensational Kids. Primarily, I was training therapists my first couple of years in the business. Mm -hmm. I traveled all around the country primarily teaching educators, but therapists, because I was teaching through a continuing ed company. You know, I really see OTs being a pivotal and essential part of creating change in schools, because, you know, we do have this knowledge of physiology, right? We do have this research base of everything that we're doing. And I know how important that is in schools. And we do have the ability to go into classrooms. You know, I really feel that, you know, educating therapists on truly, what does it mean to be trauma responsive? What does it mean? Like, what tools do you actually use? Mm -hmm. Move away from, you know, the handwriting, the shoelace tying, you know, the checklists of things, even like all those behavior charts, move away from all of that and get to really the nervous system. Teach about the nervous system. And that's why I am you know, so interested in the vagus nerve and polyvagal theory. I think it just gives us such a strong foundation to understand how can we create this change from the inside out rather than all these things that we're doing, you know, even as OTs, try this pencil grip, try this bouncy ball, try this therapy, you know, all of these things, external things to help make shift the nervous system or, you know, integrate sensory systems and whatnot, but we have this wonderful like body and breath, you know, Mm -hmm. that we take with us everywhere. And we're really able to, you know, manipulate and create change and boost our own inner resilience so that not just our handwriting will be better. Our beingness will be in greater comfort and greater joy. And you said at the end of the day, the OT goals are still met. Instead of putting a Band-Aid and treating the symptom or the, you know, you have gotten to the root and truly created change. You have healed. 
And you also were working with the teachers too, helping the teachers. And so then they could better help the students. And, you know, I think that that's a really, really important aspect to all of the healing, right? It's very easy to say, oh, we have all these kids that, you know, have faced trauma and developmental trauma and autism and ADHD and all of these things. And schools, typically when they come to us, it's like, what can we do for the kids? What can we do to help the kids? And the answer is not do this to the kids or for the kids. Schools are community. And especially when we're talking about creating change from the inside out, we're talking about creating change within the nervous system. Okay, nervous systems don't function in isolation. We function together. So anything that I share in a classroom must be shared with an educator And an educator must know how to then share it again with their students, because here's the other reality, especially if we're going through a therapist, right, doing this work. School therapists will not be in classrooms every single day. They'll be in different classrooms. Might not get back to your classroom till next week. But the real work that we're doing with a trauma-responsive lens is we're continually recalibrating and reconditioning the nervous system. So that needs to happen ongoing, not once a week, right? And that was a big issue that I always had with therapy. Like, okay, so this child's on my caseload twice a week, right? But they're having a meltdown an hour after I'm with them. Who is going to help them recover from that? And how? Is it going to be, oh, let me get that checklist going. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. We don't do that. So it is essential for educators to understand about their own nervous system and their nervous system of their students and how to recalibrate, realign, recuperate. Now let's talk about the vagus nerve. Can you just tell us? first of all, what it is, because most of us don't even know we have one. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So the vagus nerve is our 10th cranial nerve. And what's so special about this nerve is so we have 12 cranial nerves, but this 10th cranial nerve, it originates at the brainstem, but it travels through your entire torso. So it is continually feeding the brain with information about what's happening in the body. And so often, you know, we think that our thoughts control everything. So if you could change your thoughts, you could change how your body feels. If you change your thoughts, you'll change your interaction with other people. The reality is, is our body informs the brain more than the brain informs the body. And the vagus nerve is part of our autonomic nervous system, which sort of has these two branches of our sympathetic nervous system and our parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So the sympathetic nervous system is there really for our protection. It's what causes us to go into a stress response or a fight, flight, or freeze response when there is imminent danger. And our parasympathetic nervous system provides a lovely balance. The parasympathetic nervous system is about rest and digest. 
the two of them function together, but the purpose is to be able to like balance both systems. Now, what's true for most of us is we're functioning in sympathetic nervous system overdrive, constantly on the go, constantly overwhelmed, constantly stressed, constantly afraid, constantly late, constantly rushing, you know, so we've got this kind of lifestyle going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are ramifications of that. So when our sympathetic nervous system is on overdrive, we've got this constant play of cortisol and adrenaline moving through our body, which, you know, causes anxiety, it causes inflammation, it causes digestive issues, you know, there's a whole litany of things Mm -hmm. that, you know, health conditions that are caused by just chronic stress. What's incredible about the vagus nerve is the vagus nerve really is all about igniting the parasympathetic nervous system. It's parasympathetic nervous system driven. So what's so powerful is that there are many ways that we can activate our own vagus nerve. And by doing so, we send messages from the body to the brain that say, oh, I could put a break on here, right? I'm not going to like just fall asleep, but I could soften this feeling right now. So that I have an opportunity to maybe feel a little bit differently, Mm -hmm. feel a little bit calmer, think a little bit clearer, Mm -hmm. take a breath here, make decisions, you know, so it has this wealth of health. It is, it's like a wealth of health through your vagus nerve. And, you know, I feel so thankful that there is so much research out there now supporting vagal nerve stimulation. You know, there's that polyvagal theory out there that really helps inform us about how our nervous system state really controls everything that we do all day long. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I'm you know, really driven by that sympathetic nervous system, I'm going to be really snippy. I'm going to be short tempered. I'm going to be easily overwhelmed. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to probably have more fear and anxiety in everything that I do that day. So I might act out. I might throw a book. I might stomp my feet. I might have a temper tantrum. So all these behaviors, they're really just driven by what's happening inside of me. And then the opposite, you know, is also true. Like when I turn on that parasympathetic nervous system and I activate this rest and digest branch of my nervous system, I might even talk a little slower. I might pause a little bit more. I might be a bit more patient. I might remember to smile. I might remember to take my time. I might remember to fully listen to what you're saying before I respond. You know, I might remember to act with more kindness and compassion. But it all starts in here, in here, which is why I really come up against a lot of, you know, behavior therapists that are just, they're all about the checklist. They're all about the punishment and the reward. 
And I just truly believe that when we can bring in more education and more knowledge about states of being, about nervous system regulation, we're going to just start to see so much change. Often we use the term, you know, behavior is communication, and we encourage parents and educators, child-serving professionals to look underneath the behavior to really figure out what's going on. And so what you have just told us and taught us, that expands that. I think it explains it better to really understand what we're talking about, you know, looking at the nervous system, looking at the state of the child, attuning to why this child is behaving rather than just looking at that behavior. I just really appreciate that in-depth explanation. When we say look underneath, we're talking about truly looking inside the nervous system, determining what state that child is in so that we know how to respond and what will work and won't work. And one of the quick things that I tell parents and educators when they are observing a behavior, whether it's, you know, aggressive or fearful, anxious, or, you know, when it's in full force, like before you move towards, just ask yourself, how is that child feeling right now? Feeling, because when we ask ourselves about feeling, not like, what are they doing? Because what are they doing is they're on the floor kicking and screaming. How is that individual feeling right now? Because then it puts you into like your own feeling state. Mm -hmm. And if you can then create the feeling within yourself that you would want them to be able to feel that's when healing really starts. That's really how to create a shift in behavior. And it's not being punitive. And it's also not being permissive. Like it's okay to do that. It's about having compassion and empathy. But it's also you using your own nervous system to help create change within the nervous system of the other person. Because here's the other like incredibly fascinating and wonderful and like juicy things about the vagus nerve and our nervous system in general is while our nervous system will influence how we're feeling inside, it's also constantly, constantly without our conscious awareness assessing what is the nervous system state of those around me right. this is called neuroception and it could either work for you or against you as an mm-hmm. educator or a therapist because if your nervous system state is one of anxiety and angst and disappointment and judgment and fear you can have the biggest smile on your face right But nervous systems read other nervous systems without even looking at all of this. It's an innate felt sense. So this is how I said it could like work for you or against you. So you could actually be adding fuel to the fire 
if you go to intervene in a situation and you yourself are not like regulated. It's it's the statement of a dysregulated adult never regulates a child, never helps a child. We can't. Yeah, it is physiologically impossible. You could talk around it, you know, any way you could even say, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Don't. Well, we know it just from arguments with our spouses, right? Like if if I want my spouse to calm down, but I'm, you know, escalated. Yeah, it's never going to happen. So true. So talk to us about what we can do to activate our own vagus nerves and what can we do to to practice that parasympathetic? Like how can we get there? First of all, I just want to say there's so many resources out there for these types of practices that I'm going to share with you. And what thrills me about that is that it's never one size fits all. So what might feel good to me might not feel great to you. It might feel great to you after you do it 10 times, but in the beginning, it may not. So what I'm going to say to start this, because I'll go through a few practices with you, is that everything that I'm going to share with you truly does activate the vagus nerve. And when we activate the vagus nerve, it truly does turn on the parasympathetic nervous system, which tells our brain and body that it can relax and it can reset. Now, For some people that are used to really being in high gear of that sympathetic nervous system, it's not going to feel great in the beginning because it's so opposite how they're used to being, right? And we tend to gravitate to what we're used to, even if it's not good for us. So I'm going to start this by saying, if while we're engaging it, it sort of feels like, "Hmm, I don't know about this. See if you could just allow yourself to say, I'm just trying it. I don't have to do this all the time. So I'm just going to be all in for right now. And then at the end of the practice, we'll check in, see how we feel. And then the other thing that I'm going to add is that, again, there are lots and lots and lots of things that we could do to stimulate our vagus nerve. In fact, I think on my website, on the Sensational Kids website, I have a ton of free resources, like downloadable, like just go in there and grab them. And I think I actually have sort of like a cheat sheet of vagus nerve activities. We'll make sure that we get the link in our show notes. So we're just going to do everything in our chair. Why don't we start by just like rubbing our hands together. And this is really just starting with some self-touch, right? We don't do this enough. In fact, in schools, we're told no touching, right? No touching. But there's something very calming and orienting about touching our own skin. So Mm -hmm. that proprioceptive and tactile input, if we're talking in sensory terms, but it's also about helping release oxytocin. When we're doing any type of self-touch or a hug, we release oxytocin. And oxytocin helps us socially engage with others. We feel safe in our own skin, and it allows us to connect. So just brushing your your arms, shoulder to fingertips. And I always, you know, give the cue of you want to do what feels good. 
I don't know what feels good in your skin. Only you do. So as you're touching your arms, notice what kind of touch on your arms feels good. So a lot of this is also about creating more opportunities for self-awareness of just what am I feeling? Because we become so disembodied and really the healing is in our body, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we need Mm -hmm. to turn to. We're going to take our hands and we're going to come to our forehead. So just a little note about the vagus nerve. It comes from the base of our brainstem. And then it's sort of, if you put your hands on your face, so it has projections like around the eye, the cheek, the jaw, and even around the ear. So what we're going to do is we're just going to massage it a bit. Start in the middle of our forehead and move away all the way to the side of the eyes. And while we're doing all of this, see if you can notice your in and out breath. So it's very intentional breathing. And then we're going to come to the side of the eyes and we're just going to do a little circles. And again, breathing in and out. You know, sometimes that just happens for me, like naturally. Because our body knows, our body really, it really, really does know. And then we're going to go to the ear. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do like a Spock. And I'm going to just massage up and down the front of my ear and the back of my ear. And you can do that on both sides. And now we're going to move down to the neck. Neck to just below the collarbone. So like jawline down the neck to the collarbone. And I like to sink my breath with this. So I'll breathe in and out and in and out. As you massage your fingers down your neck to your chest. Massaging your fingers down your neck to your chest. All right. And then we're just going to do a little, we're going to bring our right ear to our right shoulder. So it's a lateral flexion of our neck. So we're elongating the side of our neck, stretching that vagus nerve. And then you're going to look up towards the left, like looking up towards the ceiling. So that activates the vagus nerve around the eyes. Interesting. And let's just take two breaths here. Breathe in and out and in and out. And then breathe in, bring your head back to mid midline. And then breathe out, bringing your left ear towards your left shoulder. And then you're going to Bring your gaze up towards the ceiling to the right. And we'll do two breaths here. Breathe in and breathe out and breathe in and breathe out and breathe in. Come back to center. And then we'll do a little lateral flexion. So I'm going to pull away from my desk here. I'm going to inhale my arms all the way up. That lifts my rib cage up, and then I'm going to exhale, and I'm going to come over to the left side. So you you want to keep your (laughs) hips, keep both sides of your pelvis into your chair, Mm -hmm. and you're just allowing this expansion over the rib cage. And then inhale, come all the way up. Exhale, come over to the other side. Again. See if you could get that left hip back down towards your seat. Mm -hmm. A big breath in and a big breath out. 
Big breath in, come all the way up. Now we're gonna goal post our arms. Take a big breath in, you're gonna bring your heart forward and look up towards the ceiling. And then as you exhale, you're gonna contract and give yourself a nice hug. Again, a big breath in, goal post, heart forward, head up. Exhale, bring that belly button in towards the spine. Round that back and give yourself a hug. One more time, big breath in. Big breath out, belly button towards your spine. Nice hug. And then inhale, just bring your spine back to a neutral upright position. And we're just gonna do a couple of holds to end this practice. You're gonna bring one hand to your forehead and the other hand to the base of your skull. So imagine that's where your vagus nerve is exiting your brain. If you'd like, you can close your eyes, only if that's comfortable for you. And we're gonna use a little bit of our imagination. So imagine that there's a beam of light moving from one hand to the other. And it's just filled with like good energy. Maybe you imagine it's filled with love, maybe compassion and kindness, but it's just moving from one hand to the other. I also like to think of this as a way to turn on our prefrontal cortex, right? Mm -hmm. Relax the back brain, that brain stem and ignite that prefrontal cortex that helps us to build patience and it's our working memory, our our attention, our problem solving, our self-regulation. And now that hand that's in the back of your head by your skull, you're gonna bring that down to your heart. And just taking a few deep breaths here. So one of the branches that vagus nerve, it's called ventral vagal, that goes from the brainstem to the heart. So sometimes here, what I like to imagine is that any worrisome thoughts or anything that's making me anxious or maybe upset today, those thoughts just become like trickles of water. And it's just going to trickle down to my heart because my heart can just surround everything with love. And then the hand that's on my forehead, I'm gonna bring that down to my belly. Now I'm gonna breathe into my belly and breathe into my heart. So there's another branch of that vagus nerve that goes to the gut. It innervates all the organs in my abdominal cavity. So the vagus nerve really gives us some heart intelligence and gut intelligence. So while your hand is on your belly and your hand is on your heart, see if as you breathe in, you can breathe into your belly first. So really let that belly expand. And then the heart lift. And then as you exhale, just let everything soften. You're just softening into your seat. And then I invite you to bring your hands to your lap. And if your eyes are closed, leave them closed. If they're open, that's fine. But see if you can really check in, in your own body, 
And just notice how does it feel? Are there any sensations that you notice or maybe an emotion pops up? What can you sense? And then when you're ready, you can flutter your eyes open. I felt so much more chill. I don't know about you, Ginger, but it's like... (laughs) You know what was going through my head too was that this is a great crossover strategy for the home because as a mom, I'm always looking for those crossover strategies. And I can imagine at bedtime that this would really kind of connect us, bring us closer together and soothe them to be able to kind of release a lot of things and hopefully sleep better. So I kept thinking, oh, I can't wait to do this with my kids tonight. And I just kept thinking how many of these I kind of accidentally do when I'm super stressed out, like the eyes and, you know, I will hug myself from time to time. And it hadn't occurred to me that that was my body's way of trying to balance things back Mm -hmm. out. Yeah. And you know what else is so interesting is, you know, breathing into our abdomen, that belly breathing is Mm -hmm. such an effective way of activating the vagus nerve because it moves through the diaphragm. So even the movements that we were doing of expanding and contracting and then breathing into the belly, that expansion and contraction, that vagus nerve gets stimulated through the diaphragm. And so many people that attend my workshops and things, you know, the adults that I train, that's so far into them of breathing into their belly. Chest breathing, that activates your sympathetic nervous system. Right. And what's so incredible is that we're born to belly breathe. If you look at a newborn, put them on their back on the changing table and just watch their breathing. It's all in their belly. We're born knowing how to activate our vagus nerve for our own well-being. And through trauma, stress, you know, life, we teach ourselves out of it and create this cycle of stress and cortisol and adrenaline of keeping ourselves going, going, going. Mm -hmm. So it's always such a reminder to me that this ease and peace and joy, like that's our birthright. We're born to be that way. We are born in health, right? Physiological health. And so many things that we do in our culture, in our life, move us away. I don't know if either of you have read Gabor Morte's last book, The Myth of Normal, but I just like love that title. I I mean, the the title just like says it all. Mm -hmm. You know, what we've deemed as normal is not normal from a human being. You know, what I love here too is that You've also kind of helped us make this connection to the physical sensations and symptoms that children will express, you know, like the stomach aches and the butterflies and I don't feel good. And why is this child always sick? Why do they always have headaches? Why do they always have stomach aches or whatever? Because that vagus nerve is attached to all that, you know, that digestion piece is so huge. It is huge, but they're all so interconnected. And it is, and it is all of that. The vagus nerve is all of that. I love that you have really tied it all together for us and really 
got us thinking about how important it is for us to really understand the nervous system, our own, so that we can help children and ourselves, and of course, the children that we're working with, because again, we are looking at long-term healing. We are looking That's at right. the child as a whole, the body, the brain, the interconnected of, of it all. So it's just a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And the other thing that I love about, especially when we're thinking about behavior and creating change and balance is that when we're talking about it from an inner state and from a physiological point of view, all of that because of neuroplasticity and neuromodulation, we can change our nervous system. So there's so much hope there, right? Because of the change that we can create within ourselves. And again, everything that we do throughout our day and our life comes from a place of what's happening inside me first. And we know through science that we can change that. that. We can influence that. I mean, that's like healing at the best. And we haven't even gotten into all the different ways to do that. And, you know, so I hope that we can continue this conversation. I love that you've told us that you've got these free resources on your site because you gave us one amazing practice and there's a million more. I would love to dive into all of that. And I'm sure our listeners would too. So we wish we had time to do that today. I told you, Allison, this was going to go really fast. I'm happy to come back another time and we could do more. We could do other fun things. I mean, I'm glad our listeners got a chance to meet you to get introduced to the vagus nerve. If they're not familiar to do a little bit of practice of what might help improve our own vagal tones. And yeah, I hope that they check out your free resources and do more of this work. I'm feeling pretty chill and, you know, like I'm in rest and digest at this point. (laughs) And you know, what will be really interesting is if, you know, any of the things that we just did together, because we did probably about five or six really different things. Mm -hmm. If you remember one of them and you do it again in a couple of hours, Every single time you do a short practice for even just like 90 seconds to two minutes, you create physiological change. And the more times you create that change, the more resilient you become. Yeah, Yeah, the starting with the awareness. I think that we've given our listeners just that right there, awareness, and then move on, you know, from from the first step. Thank you, Allison. Thanks for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me. Really, really enjoyed our conversation today. Awesome. And thank you listeners for listening. We always welcome your feedback on this or anything else that we do. And we'll catch you at the next podcast. This has been another episode of Regulated and Relational. Next time, Julie and Ginger are joined by Leonard Webb to talk about a very important subject, the school to prison pipeline. A special thanks to Lorraine Schneider, our editor, and Jill Kramer for donating our music. For more information about the Attachment and Trauma Network, visit our website at attachtrauma.org. Show notes and upcoming episodes will be available on our website at anchor.fm. I'm Danny Pankratz. Thanks for listening.